Kia ora and welcome to Insight. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, our growing rubbish problem. New Zealanders have been recycling for years now, but how much difference is it really making? Despite our best efforts to be tidy Kiwis, the amount of rubbish we're chucking in the landfill just keeps growing. Insight explores why we're failing so badly to curb the waste mountain and asks, are there bigger waste issues going undetected? Another dish rack filled with expertly cleaned tins, frozen peas bag, and yet another plastic milk bottle. And another consumer cleansed of the guilt of living in today's throwaway society. We seem to spend more and more time these days standing at the sink, diligently washing out the recycling before someone comes to collect it from our curbside. So why is it that the amount of waste going to landfill is climbing every year? Yeah, it's reflected across all Western countries where people are recycling more than they've ever recycled before and there's more waste going to landfill or incineration than has ever gone before. So the answer is simply consumption. And is recycling the answer? The Green Party thinks it's an answer, but we're relying on it too much to be the answer. Recycling is what you do when you've failed to do the other stuff like avoid and reduce and reuse. And this large international waste company thinks we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves. I think it's important for there to be a national debate really around the concept of recycling sustainability in, in the full, you know, in, in, a, in a fulsome way, rather than looking at particular sectors where often vested interests are pushing their particular barrel. I think we need to look at, at it in totality and decide are we here to feel good or are we here to actually do good. I'm Teresa Cowie, and this insight explores whether it's time to dump the current approach to dealing with our rubbish and look at how we might sort out the whole waste system, not just the recycling bin. Quite full this week, so a bit of extra scrunching down. A lot of the discussion around cutting down on waste seems to revolve around the virtues of recycling. A Waikato University law professor, Alexander Gillespie, says that's because it's a part of the waste problem householders can feel good about and they feel they can have some control over. But he says the economics of most recycling doesn't add up because the cleaning, dismantling, sorting and transporting of our unwanted stuff costs money. Recycling's part of the answer, but it's a minority part of the answer. You can do some reduction with products which have an economic value and which the market will help guide what can be recycled, but most waste doesn't have an economic value. Recycling works very well when there's an economic benefit. The best recycling at the moment is with metal, and the government doesn't even need to put the triangles on metal products because people who will collect scrap waste will come to your house, take away your old car, take away your old fridge because they know that it's there's an economic benefit to recycle metal is cheaper than making it from virgin materials. And so then you kind of work down the list of where there's economic benefits. And so I could go metal, some plastics, some paper in some situations. But without an economic driver, recycling often just, it just stops. It's like a wind turbine without any wind in it. Every year, New Zealanders produce 15.5 million tonnes of waste. 
Only about 28% of that is recycled. The rest goes to landfill, farm dumps or is dumped illegally. Only about a third of the country's rubbish comes from our household bins. Two-thirds comes from businesses, construction and demolition and industry. So what can be done to tackle all that we can't control from our curbside recycling bin? And are we focusing enough on the bigger and more harmful waste issues? One of the main ways the government is trying to stop more rubbish going into our landfill is by charging a waste disposal levy on everything you send to the dump. Heard of it? Thought not. A 2011 study found that only 12% of people even knew it existed, and that's what many consider to be a major problem with the levy. So what is it? For every tonne of rubbish you dump at your local landfill, you pay $10. The idea is that it's meant to be an economic disincentive. It's factored into the cost of your curbside collection or added to your receipt if you take your rubbish to the dump yourself. But this appears to be virtually invisible to most people. The money that's collected then goes into what's called the Waste Minimisation Fund, which is run by the Ministry for the Environment. Since it was put in place in 2009, it's collected $192 million. It gathers about $25 million every year, with half of the money given to councils for waste projects and infrastructure, and the rest, minus what it costs to administer the scheme, is handed to charities and businesses with waste-cutting projects they need financial backing for. Matthew Luxon is the Director of Sustainability Consultancy Envision. He reckons at $10 the levy's nowhere near enough to make people change their behaviour. One-off charge of, of that uh, small amount and for that material then just to sit there forever is, is outrageous. It's way too cheap. And because it's too cheap, it means that it's really hard to bring in other meaningful diversion services. Mr Luxon wants New Zealand to follow other developed nations and have a levy that's expensive and makes people think twice about what they're consuming and how much they're dumping. It needs to go up. And so it needs to go up dramatically. Uh, but there's another thing that could happen, and that is apply it across all landfills. So at the moment, the levies are applied to just municipal uh, landfills. And if we were to apply it across the other 75% of landfills, would, um, that would make a big difference. And then secondly, yeah, increase it, and increase it dramatically, uh, it would, be, would be my advice. Um, and, and we'd see some great returns as a result of doing that. How much are you talking, and over what period? Well, I, currently $10 a tonne. I'd, I'd be aiming for that $140 a tonne that was recently mentioned in a report um, that, that came out on the subject. I think getting up to there would be, would be a really good move, and um, as quickly as possible, you know, as, as, as the market would allow, but I'd, I'd just be going for it. Paul Evans is the chief executive of Wastemans, an organisation that represents commercial and council waste and recycling groups. It commissioned that report on the waste disposal levy Matthew Luxon just mentioned. The study, A Wasted Opportunity, looks at how the levy could be harnessed to bring both economic and environmental advantage. Its researchers put incremental increases to the levy under the microscope to understand what change they might affect. If you were just wanting to generate more funds, 
to reinvest in waste minimisation in that regard. You know, they, they looked at a, an amount of $20 a tonne. They said that wouldn't create significantly more diversion but uh, in itself, but that would allow a lot more funds for reinvestment. When you move that up to something like $80 a tonne, that's when you'd start to see a real change in behaviour in terms of people starting to think about what they were doing, businesses starting to think about what they were doing and actively looking for those diversion opportunities. And then when you got up to around that $140 a tonne, that's where you really maximise that diversion, you maximise that recycling. Tom Nichols, the managing director of the New Zealand arm of the international rubbish and recycling firm Waste Management, agrees the levy's not enough. But what's more, he thinks the playing field isn't level. Households are paying their way, but many others are not. Our company's position on the waste levy has been for some time that it needs to increase over time. And when it does increase, I guess the two things that we would say are, firstly, that it needs to be applied universally across all disposal points. So there should be no differential uh, levy because that distorts things and and provides opportunity for um, unexpected outcomes. So it should be universal. And and the second one is it just needs to be signalled and introduced in a planned way so that the industry can adjust. At the current rate, the Green Party's waste spokesperson, Denise Roach, believes the charge for every tonne dumped is simply not doing the job it's supposed to. We'd like to see the waste levy increased. The whole idea of it was that um, you would gradually increase the waste levy as a disincentive for waste to landfill. We also need to see it extended to more landfills. There's only a tiny proportion that are actually covered by it. But not everyone's convinced that jacking up the price is the answer. In the nine years the national-led government has been in power, it hasn't raised the levy. I asked its associate environment spokesperson, Scott Simpson, if National would raise it if elected in September. That involves a a, a more sophisticated answer than just sort of saying yes and increase. So there are some products, some waste streams, for instance, that the price of $10 a tonne might be perfectly adequate. But there are some other waste streams where obviously, yes, you'd want to encourage the avoidance of them going to landfill and a higher price would be more appropriate, of course. So what sorts of things do you think should cost more? Well, we've got um, some big problems with, for instance, batteries, some of the toxic chemicals, some of the, some of the construction um, material that currently uh, may not be being captured at all. There are a range of them, and uh, um, the experts have a, a very good handle on what the list of products is. It's a long list, but I'm not convinced that just a, a flat $10 a tonne charge is necessarily the, the best way to encourage changed uh, approaches to landfill. I'd like to have a, a menu of choices and pricing options that discourage the very bad things um, uh, from being put into landfill. And Denise Roach from the Greens would agree that on top of an overall extra cost to dumping, the most harmful waste, like old tyres and e-waste, should be targeted. Charge an increased levy on certain types of waste as well, because that would mean that we would have to find solutions for that waste. Labor's environment spokesperson David Parker was reticent about discussing any increases in taxes in the lead-up to the election. We think it's more important to increase the breadth of dumping that is covered by the levy than it is to increase the levy itself. But while Labor was backing away from supporting a levy rise, David Parker thinks the government should have put it up when it had the chance. They've got an appalling record on this front, uh, that they've had a piece of legislation that's been underutilised, that they've kept the levy at the same level for the last nine years uh, 
and that they haven't tried to uh, increase the breadth of disposal facilities that are even covered by the levy. And as a consequence, the proportion of New Zealand's waste that is recovered is uh, declining in both uh, nominal terms and as a percentage of the growing total. So this is curbside recycling, landfill, and we've got a couple of bakashi compost here as well. In the Auckland suburb of Glen Innes, Max Barwell and his wife Candice Weir and their three children are on a mission to get to zero waste. When I visited them in mid-August, they'd still not put their bin out for collection once this year. This is landfill bin, so maybe two-thirds full from the year. Their drive to aim for a zero-waste lifestyle was prompted by the need to save money. It was around the time that um, I was pregnant and um, I came across cloth nappies as an option. So, yeah, I just started to look at some other areas of waste reduction. They say while a rise in the levy wouldn't make a difference to them, it would affect many others in their neighbourhood who are living on very tight budgets. I kind of wonder if they start jacking up the price for, for the waste disposal, will that just incentivise people to do more dumping? I don't know that's something that people have thought through. I mean, obviously that's not something that's happening in you know, Grey Lynn or Ponsonby. It's a problem in south and east Auckland and other places. This effect's already been observed overseas. When dumping becomes expensive, fly-tipping becomes a major problem. Paul Evans from Wastemans says its recent report into the levy found such illegal dumping problems could be overcome. If you just put up the cost of a disposal and isolation, that could arguably lead to more um, illegal dumping or fly-tipping and those sorts of, of activities or illegal landfills. And so one of the recommendations there was that there needed to be more monitoring and enforcement and actually utilising the levy funds to, to help support that. But while household rubbish that goes to the local dump or a recycling centre is close to the hearts of those who faithfully sort it and put it out for collection, it's only one part of New Zealand's rubbish problem. A third of the problem, to be precise. Every three years, the Ministry for the Environment does a review of how the waste disposal levy is working. In its latest report, released in July, it recommended extending the levy beyond what are termed Class A landfills, these are mostly your local council facilities, to all types of dumps. Only 11% of landfills are levied. The other 89% of industrial, construction and demolition and other waste can avoid it by being taken off to privately owned dumps, such as those owned by skip companies. Construction and demolition waste is one of the largest global waste streams and it makes up an estimated 50% of all waste in New Zealand's landfills. Throughout the front of the site here we've got our construction skip so in here we've got a bit of, uh, bit of timber waste, we've got some cement packaging, we've got some jibboard waste. So with New Zealand in the midst of a building boom, what would builders think of having to pay more to dump the packaging, offcuts, rubble and other waste from their builds? Simon Barber is the president of the Master Builders Association and co-owner of a Genian Homes franchise in Wellington. As he shows me through the skip outside a large four-bedroom home his company's building, he tells me he thinks the construction and demolition waste probably makes up more than what the officials are putting it at. He thinks building waste needs to be cut back dramatically and those producing it should have to pay their way. There should be a levy-based um, approach which is not charged on the recycling, so it 
it, it, it supports that level. I mean, on any um, on any, any cost side of it, I mean, hey, the cost is just going to be passed on to our onto the consumers, which are our clients through the, through the building process. So, um, yeah, it, it, the average. Um, average smaller builder probably wouldn't notice too much difference. So that would be built into to pricing and quotes? Yeah, very much so. Hey, and it'll drive that recycling effort as well. And Simon Barber thinks a change in mindset around construction waste needs to start at the design phase. Uh, so, I mean, New Zealand has got largely a, um, a bespoke way of building their, um, their, their housing stocks. So, hey, more prefabrication, uh, more modular construction uh, would definitely help um, construction in a factory environment definitely help the waste minimisation. The large skip outside the almost finished house only cost about $260 for delivery, removal and disposal. A house build like this, he says, would fill about four. It goes to a local company, which picks out anything of value for recycling, and the rest goes to its private landfill, no levy paid. Simon Barber says if dumping cost more, it would probably make builders put pressure on their suppliers to cut down on packaging and product design that causes too much waste. Well, I think the focus has probably got to be on the supply chain side of things. I think our, um, our suppliers have got to be held accountable um, to manage their waste. So um, a, a lot of the finishing products, I mean, take the bathroom, wear the shower, wear the, uh, the polystyrene around um, a lot of our heating components, um, our jibboard waste. Um, yeah, there was definitely a simpler process to be run through our supply chain. But there are some companies trying to make good out of the country's huge building waste problem. We have a 2.7 hectare facility here, and most of it's dedicated to recycling or processing of, of waste material that comes in here on a daily basis. We have about 10,000 tonnes a month comes in. There's a number of demolition companies come here uh, because they have certain requirements as far as a, a demolition job's concerned to ensure that it's recycled. In Auckland, Graham Bowkett, the chief executive of Green Gorilla Recycling, says the majority of the construction waste that makes it to his recycling facility can be recycled. OK, this is a, a materials handler which is lifting up uh, consolidated waste and put in a, on a sort line. So once it goes onto that sort line, it then moves through various stages of screens and there's uh, various machines uh, that, that separate different materials out of that uh, uh, construction waste. And then as it goes further on, we'll see uh, that there's some hand-picking as well. We pick out a lot of timber out of the material, plastics, uh, cardboard, more plasterboard, and all those sorts of materials from the, from the waste that can be recycled. So of the material that comes in here, we recycle about 80%. So that's of construction waste and demolition waste. His company's done well out of the Waste Minimisation Fund grants, which the levy pays for. It's received two grants of just over half a million dollars each to recycle plasterboard. Every house that's built has about 20% wastage in jibboard. Uh, so we, we collect that material and we bring it here and we recycle it for them. 20% wastage? Yeah, that's correct. It's, got, it's, a, it's a very large amount. These bales are um, actually uh, full of uh, ground-up gypsum. So we, we receive here plasterboard from uh, manufacturing and, and from the building supply people uh, after they've installed jibboard uh, in their homes. And the material comes here and we put it through our machinery and we separate out the gypsum from the paper. And then the gypsum goes off to our farmers who use it in their, in their, on their soil or it goes off to horticultural uses uh, as a soil enhancer for, for planting. 
and the paper gets uh, recycled and um, sent off to the paper mill. Its target is to recycle 8,000 tonnes of plasterboard every year. The company has another grant for $1.2 million for machinery to turn wood offcuts into fuel for the furnaces at a cement so works in Northland. At the moment, but our chipping operation is a two-stage process. We've got a slow-speed shredder here, and then the material goes up into this high-speed chipper here, and that's where the, all the nails are pulled out. So we chip it into little 30-millimetre um, chunks, and then it goes off into our, into our hoppers waiting for trucks to come. And trucks come through here 24-7. He's upbeat about the fund. But some are critical of how the $80 million fund spent since 2009 is being prioritised, even though it's been distributed to 85 initiatives aimed at reducing waste. The Product Stewardship Council feels it's being used to make the government look good, cutting ribbons on projects that don't always deal with the most important and harmful waste problems. The ministry's most recent review of the levy recommended that the Waste Minimisation Fund grants should be allocated in a more strategic way to make sure funding's available for projects that support New Zealand's waste minimisation priorities. It made a similar recommendation in its previous report three years earlier. The Green Party's waste spokesperson, Denise Roach, says a lot of public money is being wasted on the wrong projects. What we see is that really good, innovative ideas are not getting access to that money. I think that the Waste Minimisation Fund has been directed towards big companies. It's been impossible for smaller for-profit organisations, community organisations, smaller, innovative um, recycling companies who want to do something else with what's coming through in the waste stream. It's been impossible for them to get access for it. The Ministry for the Environment, which manages the scheme, referred Insight's request for an interview to the National Party's Associate Environment spokesperson, Scott Simpson. Well, I, I simply don't accept that it doesn't have a strategic direction. Um, there are critics of the scheme, but um, I've discovered in politics and life there are critics of just about everything. So um, That was the, the Ministry scheme... of, for the Environment recommended that it, it did have a strategic direction in its last review. So is that not important? Well, of course it is. And as I say, I don't accept that it doesn't have a sufficient strategic direction. The strategic direction is to uh, minimise waste. And I actually think that the funding and projects that have been uh, supported by the, the levy and the fund uh, are making a very positive and significant difference. Um, but overall, of course, we do have uh, more waste being produced. And we have to, as a society and as individuals, have a far more dedicated approach to reusing, reducing and recycling. Ever since the Waste Levy and Minimisation Fund began, waste to landfill has gone up almost every year, apart from a dip in 2012. Sandra Murray from the Product Stewardship Council says the elephant in the room is mandatory product stewardship. Product stewardship is a, a very simple concept, really. It's the idea that the people who manufacture, sell and use a product should be responsible for that product at the end of its life. Um, so for most people, they, they'll know this from bottle deposits, you know, where there's a scheme set up to collect the, the product in, or perhaps with electronic waste, where there's a scheme set up that collects it and recycles it. But the important part of product stewardship is that uh, you link the end of the product's life with the beginning. 
most waste issues are caused by badly designed products. Now, when you just manufacture a product and then sell it and you don't ever take responsibility for the end of life, then you don't bother to redesign your product. But if you need to take responsibility for the end of life of your product, either because you have a voluntary scheme or because you have a mandatory scheme in place, then you start thinking about your design of your product and you go, how can I design this product so that it's cheaper to recycle it? Under the Waste Minimisation Act 2008, the Minister has the power to declare certain products to be a priority and make it compulsory for manufacturers to have to deal with their products when they're ready to be thrown away. The products sustainability groups would like to see prioritised are the most harmful ones, like agrochemicals, e-waste, which contains heavy metals, and the 5 million contaminant-releasing old tyres that are dumped every year. National's Associate Environment spokesperson Scott Simpson supports product stewardship, but stands firm that it has to be voluntary. There are already a number of product stewardship schemes around and where they are part of a a voluntary scheme amongst commerce and manufacturers, often they are amongst competitors, they work very well. So I'd like to see those schemes extended as well. For the past nine years, the national-led government has had the power to declare products, a priority product for mandatory product stewardship. Why have you not done that? Oh, simply because we haven't yet had a compelling case to do that with any particular product. But uh, that's something that I'm keen to explore. Um, I, but I gr- with to, growing to landfill, you've got a compelling case to ensure that there is product stewardship, surely? Yeah, well, as I say, I think that this is an area where actually we've made uh, very big progress. And the story that uh, the government and we as New Zealanders have to tell on landfill is, I think, quite a good one. I don't accept for one moment that it's all a negative one-way street. But Sandra Murray says a voluntary system of responsibility leaves businesses which are doing the right thing with higher costs and they're ultimately less competitive. Internationally and within New Zealand, what has been shown is that voluntary schemes simply do not work. Um, The main reason they don't work is because of free riders. That's um, companies who can benefit from the scheme but don't contribute financially to it. Um, The other reason voluntary schemes don't work is that they're often set up as a marketing tool Um, not actually as a genuine effort to recover the product and recycle it. And so they're they're a bit half-hearted about it. They don't fully fund it. It's funded from a marketing budget, not from a a proper budget. And uh, the schemes have very low recovery rates. There's often no transparency or tracking to ensure that the, the products are actually recycled. Sandra Murray says without compulsory product schemes, corporate social responsibility will be reduced to greenwash and it will be difficult to start any truly meaningful schemes that cut down waste. In the meantime, the Barwell Weir family of Glen Innes plan to keep on doing their bit, but there are some parts of living a zero-waste lifestyle they'll be glad to see the back of. Cloth nappies are quite a... We're used to it, but it is quite a daunting thing. I mean, I, I feel like the day that I wash and scrape stuff off, off my last nappy um, and rinse that out, it, you know, that's going to be, we're going to have a party. I'm Teresa Cowie, and that's Insight for this week. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to listen, subscribe, rate and review. That programme was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Phil Benj. 
If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. It's been lovely to have you with us and thanks for listening. Listening.